Welcome to episode 42 of the Notorious Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. Matt, props to you, Biggie. And jury duty isn't so bad. And no, Bob, it's not that jury duty. And of course, the man pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severance. He meant courtroom poop. Oh, boy. So we we missed a week, guys. We're 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 kind of we're kind of battling for two weeks worth of information in one show. So why don't we get straight into it, um, and uh, we'll we'll kick it off talking a little bit about the Miami Heat and this streak of uh, anti domination. The 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 losing streak five in a row at this point and six out of their last seven. What do you make of the losing streak? Other than the fact that. All we hear is whining about it. Bound to happen, especially when your opponents during the stretch of Chicago, or you got the Bulls, the Knicks, Magic, Spurs, Bulls again, and Portland. And like we were discussing a little bit beforehand, you still have the Lakers, the Grizzly, the Spurs again, the Thunder, and even the Hawks, all your next five games. This is a very critical time. And and this is kind of going back to even the LeBron-led Cavs, where they had trouble playing against the, the tougher, tougher competition. And unfortunately for Miami, it seems to be falling that way, especially when they're technically only playing three on five sometimes. Yeah, interesting the, Interesting to note, you mentioned the LeBron's Cavs teams and um, this Miami Heat, this dominant team with the unstoppable force has already lost more games on the season than LeBron's team did in Cleveland either of the last two seasons. So uh, I think you, if you're looking at the, the Miami Heat as a whole this year, it's hard to look at them as a success when LeBron was winning more games with such inferior teammates uh, in Cleveland. But that being said, I, I definitely think that the losing streak has been blown out of proportion. Um, there, was, there was a stretch uh, for the Lakers earlier this year where uh, you know they were on similar. They were on a similar tear, a, a, a really bad streak of you know several losses in a row, combined with some really poor performances, even in some wins. And this is just something that happens to basketball teams over the course of an 82 game season. That being said, I don't think that Miami is in any trouble as far as the playoffs are concerned. I think they're going to be making it, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any chance they get eliminated in the first round. I think if they do get eliminated in the second round, it's going to be a very good basketball team. Um, something that we could have expected, even if a five game losing streak never happened during the regular season. But uh, what what's really kind of been telling to me more than anything about this and the thing that maybe has me believing that they don't get out of the second round isn't so much the way that they're playing. It's the way that they've been handling the, the, the losing streak off the court. A lot of really odd moments in the in the press conferences following the games there's there's incidents where players may or may not be crying in the in the locker room there's incidents where Chris Bosh may or may not have been crying on the podium and um, we've got we've got just different comments made by Bosh about his role with the team and uh, you know nice screenshots of players covering their face it's it's all kind of led me to believe that there's a lot less 
uh, harmony in this locker room um, than than what we had been previously led to believe. Yeah, tension or these rough spots definitely determine how well a team is going to do, th- how they go along, and it's it's not a good start for them. Maybe this whole thing is a growing experience for them. They they figure it out, pull it off, and, and make a run in the playoffs. But you know, at, at this point, there. There's got to be something. You know, the, these guys were supposed to dominate the entire league. Yeah, they're, they're going to have these runs. Even even the Cavs, when they had LeBron, had a few games where you just have bad time playing basketball. You know, whether it be a team concept or individuals not playing well, you're going to hit these rough, rough spots. And, and maybe for them, this is what, again, what they need to, to grow as a basketball team because they're definitely going to need it because right, I would say right now if, if this turmoil and dissension between all the players and, and the staff, if this keeps going, this is, this is not the direction you want to go heading into the playoffs. I was going to say I wanted to key off one important thing that Matt said, which is um, this happens to NBA teams during throughout the season. I think the biggest reason why people are reacting like this is that they didn't expect it to happen to these guys because you figure you got three big names, you've got three playmakers, maybe two, let's just say two playmakers that can dominate the game, they can put the game on their backs at the end of the game and make things happen. And for the likelihood of all three of them kind of just not having enough, not that they're off, but they all, not one of them is really taking the... Uh, bull by the horns and kind of led them to victory, I think that people didn't expect to ever see that with this team, that there wouldn't be any long streaks and that sort of thing. And I think that's why there's a big reaction to it. But ultimately, I'm, I'm with you, Matt, where um, I don't think it's going to affect too much the way uh, they play in the playoffs as long as they can um, maybe get a, a few wins off before they go in. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny though, and you said it about having the three big players on the team. I think the idea when you sign up to play on a team like that is that um, there's a, there's enough talent and enough scoring potential all around that LeBron James can afford to have a game off. He can he can afford to not have a spectacular outing every single night and not have to worry about you know carrying the team in every single every single game like he did a lot of the time when he was in Cleveland. But I think what we've seen, and it's kind of interesting, is if you look like this past week at the uh, at the loss they had just the other night against the Blazers, the the combination of Dwayne Wade and LeBron James scored 69 points combined. Bosch added in another 18 points. That's what 87 points between three players. It's incredible. And they lose the basketball game by double digits. Yeah, that means you have nine other people score nine points being scored by other people. You, you just don't see that in basketball. You know, it, it, it's a team game. As much as we talk about individuals and being able to propel the team, most of those people, MJ, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, they played off their supporting cast. And, and right now, that cast just isn't there right now during this entire streak. Where where are they? You know, yeah, they signed They're nowhere. You know, they signed Mike Bibby, so there's going to be some issues. They have Joel Anthony, who's an all right guy, would probably be best uh, the first big off the bench. You have Eric Dampier, all these veterans, even Mike Miller, that are supposed to be doing stuff. And 
they need that production in order to succeed. Now, you, I want to I want to talk about this for a second because you mentioned Mike Bibby and, and it's been no secret throughout the first half of this season that the way that you beat the Miami Heat was with outstanding play at the point guard position. They lost several games to Rajon Rondo in the Detroit or in the in the Boston Celtics. They lost a couple of games to Derrick Rose and the Chicago Bulls. They lost to to Darren Williams and the Utah Jazz at the time. Uh, Chris Paul was giving them trouble. Outstanding point guard play has really been a problem for this team. So in response, what they do to rectify their situation at point guard is they go out and get the absolute worst, most flat-footed defender at the point guard position in the entire. NBA. I think I think if you looked at Derek Fisher late in the year last year, he would have been a better defender than what I'm seeing from Mike Bibby this year. And it's just it makes no sense. It's a personnel move that they make to get more offense out there. And I would I would admit that that Mike Bibby as a point guard is a better offensive weapon than the point guards they've been running out there on a day on a nightly basis. But Seriously, the worst point guard defender in the entire league, at least in a starting role. Yeah, you know, as much as you, you, you're you getting all these points and you need points from your supporting cast, if you're not getting those points, you, you can't have that huge hole of a, of a de- deficiency like Bibby is pretty much presenting them to, to be. It's almost like the... I'm, I'm going to go right back to the Cavs where... When they had LeBron, they had Mo, who was a, a substandard defensive guy, and all Derrick Rose, Rajon Rondo, Jameer Nelson, all ate him alive. So <laughs> it's it's tough to to, to to do that and expect him to succeed in, in that in that position. And the NBA is such a point guard driven league that it, at this point, I'd rather have a defensive point guard which unfortunately Mario Chalmers and even Carlos Arroyo, who they had, really weren't that great either. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's important to note that, uh, that when you look at the, at the past couple of games, the, the games in this losing streak, um, their offensive numbers, if you look at the points they're putting up on a game-to-game basis, aren't that far off from the norm for this season. And they were, let's face it, pretty successful putting up those points for most of the season. But what has really changed over the last several games has been their defensive production. They've given up more points significantly over the past six games, seven games, than they were allowing prior to that point. Their defense has really taken a step back, and their record is is suffering for it. Now, uh, that being said, uh, records are are proving to be very critical in the world of college basketball right about now because we're getting very, very close uh, to to the big selection Sunday uh, coming up this Sunday, of course, where we get to see who the 68, 68 teams are 68. that make it into the, into the hey, NCAA tournament. So it sounds weird saying 68, doesn't it? A little bit, but, you know, 68's... At least an even number, I guess. 68, dudes! <laughs> uh, as much as you mention records, it's this time of the year where you're seeing these media darlings, these Cinderella stories where records really don't mean anything. If you get hot at the right time and right now's the right time, you're going to have an off, uh, you know, a, a team like George Mason, a team like Butler, or, or maybe some of these other teams who, who you know, get in by winning their, their tournament 
could mess some things up for some of these bigger schools. Now, so far, the bigger schools have been a little bit lucky. We've got, uh, I believe, nine teams that have already qualified for the NCAA tournament. We've got Belmont, Moorhead State, North Carolina, Asheville, uh, Old Dominion, St. Peter's, Indiana State, Wolford, Oakland, and Gonzaga. Most cases, those are teams that if there were any team in that conference that was expected to earn a berth by their own merits, it was Belmont, it was Moorhead State, it was Gonzaga. So we're, we're talking about Old Dominion. We're talking about teams that were probably in the tournament anyways. So the fact that they've won their automatic bids, that means there are more spots now open up for the teams like Virginia Tech, Michigan State, those teams that are, are kind of floating around in that bubble area. So, uh, so far, so good for the underperformers in the major conferences. They've still got a good shot because those those bids aren't being swallowed up by the, uh, by the, the top teams in the mid-majors. Still room for that to happen, but so far it hasn't. Yeah, and even all these teams that are in the bubble or on the bubble or around the bubble themselves, that doesn't mean that you can't show up. Uh, unfortunately, Nebraska was one of those teams where they had a few good wins going late, and they pretty much laid a goose egg in the first round of the tournament and probably won't make the the field. Uh, same thing with, unfortunately, for Baylor. It doesn't look like they're going to get in. Uh, unfortunately for them, even Perry Jones uh, got suspended uh, for the entire for the rest of the remainder of the year. They're appealing it, but we'll see how, how that goes. So. Definitely, if, if I'm, I'm just going to say that, that the last four out and basing on Joe Lenardi's bracketology, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, Colorado, Georgia, you have to at least win one, maybe two games to keep your bubble spot. Right. Right. One of the teams that I think has got a really sh- good shot of getting in, especially if they perform well um, coming up tomorrow against K- uh, Kansas State. State would be the University of Colorado. Of course, they kind of they kind of inflated their uh, bubble stock with a uh, ninety-one to eighty-nine victory over then number five Texas uh, just uh, just a week or so ago. Um, I think they're looking pretty good to get into the tournament. Um, any other uh, bubble teams you think they got a good uh, inside shot of getting in? Well, I, I think the biggest thing with this, uh, you're, you're going to look for these teams that, one, have a strong RPI, two, have a strong strength of schedule. And you, like I said earlier, you have you have to win that first game if you're a team. We'll say like Marquette. Mar- Marquette has an RPI of 65. Okay, not maybe the greatest, but a, a solid. Their strength of schedule is 29, which is, which is great. They're technically 9-9 nine and nine in the Big East. They did end up beating West Virginia today, so it, it looks like they have a you know a possibility to be the, be in the dance and have eleven, twelve teams coming from the Big East, which just sounds crazy. Yeah, a lot of conferences don't even have an eleven or twelve teams. Period. Yeah, but you know it's it's a it's honestly a strong conference. I'll give them that. And why not? If 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 you're Marquette and you're one of the the worst teams in in the in the division, or I won't say worst teams, but one of the the middle road teams, and you're twenty and thirteen, and you're ninth in the Big East, I'm assuming you'd probably do a little bit better if you were in a in a different division. 
Right. I think I think one thing that I think one thing that really helps them out though is when you're talking about conference play, you're talking about playing against the top teams every night and when you when you do rack up those losses, um they're they're losses that don't look terrible on your resume. I mean, let's take Marquette for example. They've got losses this year to Duke, Gonzaga, Vanderbilt, Wisconsin, Pitt, Louisville, Notre Dame, UConn, Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's, Cincinnati, and Seton Hall. I mean, all of those are very, very good teams, with the exception of maybe Seton Hall. That's really a game they couldn't have, they couldn't really afford to lose, but they 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 went ahead and lost it anyways. But it's one thing that's definitely a resume booster when you can when you can look at your schedule and say, look, we may not have had the best record. We we finished with the twenty. 20- and 13 record. I mean, you, you, we won 20 games, but look at the teams we lost to. These are good, good teams, and we're losing good team, losing to good teams in in a, in, a, in dramatic fashion. Losing by you know uh, one point to Louisville. I mean, a lot of these games are, were were pretty close. So we're not talking about a team that's been run out of the run off the court by anybody. I think uh, I think we're we're probably looking at what would appear to be a set field of number one seeds. I think at this point in time, with the with the distance that Ohio State has put behind them uh, between the number one and number two seed, that we're probably looking at a number one overall seed of Ohio State that probably gets seated in the uh, in the let's see which bracket is it that's got them playing in Cleveland East. They probably get seated in the East bracket, so they're playing in a virtual home game in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, then we start going down the list, and I suspect that we'll probably see Duke, we'll probably see Kansas, and we'll probably see Pittsburgh in that number one line. Um, of course, BYU was a team that really had a shot of working their way up to the number one seed in the tournament, but uh, ended up uh, getting dealt quite a blow when one of their star players um, uh, they're a young forward by the name of Davis or Davies who who got uh, kicked off the team for violating the honor code. That's really uh, that's really hurt them a lot. Which is it's been an interesting scenario out in BYU because this is a team that's dominated the talk in college basketball for pretty much this entire season, and that's not something you often hear coming out of Utah or more specifically Brigham Young. Yeah, usually when you think of Utah. You think of more football than anything, but they, they do have, you know, a team here and there. You have to look at the, the just I know it's not BYU, but the Rick Majerus led Utah team back in the late 90s, early 2000, who, who was a, a staple in the tournament that, you know, Good thing that they are up this far right now. Um, I, I think if they were a bubble team, I, th- I think Davies getting kicked off the team probably would have hurt them immensely. I could see them possibly going or sliding to a, a number three seed, depending on you know some of these other teams like Purdue. If, if they pull off and win the Big Ten, they could possibly jump up to a number two. San Diego State could could leapfrog them because they're definitely not the same team that 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 beat San Diego State without Davies. So this is this is the most important time where conference tournaments mean so much for for these teams. Whether it is you know the people who are looking for the bubbles or, or people who are looking to to position themselves for for a good run. Right, and of course we mentioned at the top of the segment about the fact that we are expanding. The, the the field to 68 teams there's there's uh 
uh, a, a lot of questions, at least in my mind, that kind of remained about how that's uh, how that's going to shake out. Um, it looks like from what I'm seeing on ESPN, they're expecting a play-in game for the 16 seeds, which is what we're used to. That's what we've had in the past with the 65th team. Um, but now we've got two of them for two of the 16 seeds. Um, but it looks like the other two might get a little bit interesting with some mid-level teams in some major conferences duking it out for 11 and 12 seeds in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think this is a really cool concept. If <laughs> if what we're seeing is how it's going to play out, kind of weird that it's right now lining up as a projection of them both being in the West, but that makes for more exciting basketball. You know, it, I think it would be too much ho-hum if it was all four 16, you know, 16 versus 16 playing field so this is this is really a cool concept and, and i dig it i'm actually kind of in favor of moving all of the play-in games out of the 16 spot because these teams that these teams that are playing in the 16 spot have earned automatic bids there's never been a team that at least of my knowledge that has made it a number 16 seed that got in there on their own merits aside from winning their conference. So uh, when we're talking about 16 seeds, I think that it's, I, I, I think that it's fair that we put them in there. I mean, obviously it, it, when you're talking about a 16 team, you're talking about a team that's going to get pummeled in their first matchup. Let's let them be at least well rested and give it their best fighting effort when they, when they get out there on the court. Uh, I'm, I'm more in favor of what we're seeing with, uh, with the potential of matchups like Colorado versus Georgia, uh, Michigan state versus Virginia tech, those types of matchups where we see the teams that were on the bubble, teams that it's questionable if they should be in the tournament, not teams that have guaranteed spots. As far as I'm concerned, we should move this to the 12 seed, uh, four playing games for the 12 seed in each and every bracket. And I, I think that that would be the most fair way to divvy up those to divvy up those extra bids um, to to make sure that you know every bracket's got someone with an extra bid in it, and and it's the guys who did not do what they had to do to guarantee themselves in the spot in the tournament that have to that have to play that extra game to match it up. It's 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 not it's not like you'll ever see in any other sport someone who wins their division having to do a play in or a one game playoff game to make the playoffs. It just doesn't make sense to me. No, I like what you're going with, and, and maybe these games that, that that are the higher rated get higher rating TV ratings, and and you see someone, th- you know, in in a position of power, which we aren't, <laughs> uh, tell someone, hey, you know, this is a cool concept. Let's roll with this. So let let's drop the the the, the 16 play-ins and and just do a you know a, a 12 a play-in for for all these other teams that I, I think that's a great concept and something that maybe depending on how it plays out it, it is something they can discuss going into next year there's definitely a part of me that thinks that the way that this play-in round is happening this season is more of an experiment than anything else it's it's not an experiment as to whether or not they're going to keep the 68 team format it's more of i think an experiment in determining how to better how to best utilize the 68 team format i think we may see something like we see this year where we've got 16s we've got 11s we've got 12s we've kind of got them all over the all over the brackets there but uh i think over the over the next couple of years it's going to really solidify itself into a solid usable system that uh hopefully we'll see with uh with 11s and 12 seeds and 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 those those major conference teams duking it out to to earn the right to get in 
Okay, so so enough of the enough of the speculating about who's going to be in the tournament and where they're going to be. Um, we've got we've got the official Sports on Point tournament challenge bracket. It's been uh, it's been posted on ESPN's fantasy site. Um, we're going to have details on how you can join the league, how you can sign up and submit your brackets. We're going to post them on our Facebook page and also on sportsonpoint.com. Make sure if you're listening to my voice right now that you immediately go click on that website, get signed up for a team because uh, yet again, we are passing out the rights to co-host our final four uh, edition of the Sports on Point podcast. That'd be our final four wrap up episode of the sports on point podcast so make sure you sign up get your picks in and who knows you could be joining us in the studio to uh to give your take on sports and and what's going on in the world other news in the world of college sports uh down in columbus the columbus dispatch dropping a bombshell on jim trestle and the ohio state university regarding the uh uh, the, the five players who got in trouble earlier this year, or should say late last year, in regards to, to selling some, some goods that didn't belong to them. Uh, Bob, what's going on down there in Columbus? Uh, what's going on? Actually, as much as it has to deal with those five athletes, six athletes, I think, uh, in total, maybe, uh, it really has not much to do with them and, and more about uh, the head coach there for the Buckeyes in Jim Trestle. Supposedly back, well, <laughs> I can't say supposedly. I guess back in April, he received an email from an ex-Ohio State or Buckeye uh, lawyer about a possibility of a federal investigation into some players who might have done some business at this tattoo parlor. Well, he said it was an ongoing investigation there was, you know, some confidentiality where this lawyer didn't want anything ousted right away because it was in the process of figuring everything out. And Jim Tressel made the decision to not really disclose that when, in fact, he should have. You know, I, I understand trying to protect the players, as, as Tressel said it. It's a noble thing. But in this day and age, when, when these violations or these things pop up the first thing that you need to immediately do is you know contact your ad gene smith your compliance officers down there uh with all with the ncaa and and at least let them know what's going on well he didn't during this whole thing uh he didn't really tell them in december about it either because again this process was still going on. Something popped out in, I believe, end of January, early February, and internal discussions at Ohio State where Jim Tressel did come forward and Ohio State opened up an investigation that, that I believe was a few weeks long, and they were going to report it to the NCAA. Unfortunately for the university, they did not get to it quick enough because Yahoo was one of the first um, outlets to report all these uh, allegations and possible sanctions and kind of played into Ohio State's hand. As we know now, 
Jim Tressel has been suspended the first two games and fined $250,000. That's by the university. They're currently talking with the NCAA about all the information, about what's going on, what happened and everything. So we'll see if this, one, is actually accepted as a punishment, and two, if the NCAA adds to that punishment. But Matt, you know, I, you know I'm an Ohio State guy. He did wrong. But th- I, th- there's something here that's not matching up. Yeah, I, uh, I, I personally, you know, obviously we're 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 producing the show from uh, from Ohio, and and uh, this is definitely the the team of choice for everybody uh, around us, and and a good majority of our listening audience. And I may come off as being unpopular with this particular opinion, but. As far as I'm concerned, the public opinion across the country of the university or of Ohio State University has taken such a dive over the last couple of months. Uh, it's it's never been a popular team outside of its fan base, as far as that's concerned. But um, it, when we're talking about the Buckeyes and, and the stuff that's gone on with Pryor, it's just a lot of people view them as a as a as a shady team that's doing things on the sly. And I personally feel like the the best thing that could happen for the Ohio State University would be that the NCAA hands down a judgment that is that is fitting of the of the violations um i i don't think we have a i don't think we have a usc type level of violations here i think it's it's significant though and and i'm not sure if i'm the ncaa if i leave well enough alone with a two-game suspension uh for coach trestle i think something more has to happen with the program in addition to what has going what is going to be instituted against jim trestle himself and more importantly, what I think needs to happen is not only do we need a stiff penalty or stiff punishment, um, I, 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 think that, uh, I think that the people involved in the situation, whether it be people at the university or the fan base in general, need to just take the medicine and move on. Because the, the, the public opinion and the, the, the feeling that surrounds the Ohio State football program right now is not a good one. And just the, the, the dose of reality that, that, they, that they should be getting, I think, is the, is the only thing that changes that perspective. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you, that you said right there is, is to move on, you know, accept it. <laughs> just on a scale, it might not be the most heinous thing to sell your own property, which in, in, in the world of college football probably isn't. But it, it's still a violation. The fact that he withheld this information about possible involvement, two games just doesn't seem like a, enough. Uh, you know, sit him, sit him out for five, six, you know, half a season. Don't allow him to go out recruiting. Do 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 something about it. Two games just isn't isn't enough. And and, and I'll, I'll be the I'll be the, the complete opposite of of you, Matt, and and, and say that. Yeah, it, it's a violation. It might not be the most major violation, but it happened. Key thing. It happened. Deal with it. Move on. Speaking of moving on, let's uh, let's move along to what's going on in the wonderful world of collective bargaining agreements. Ooh, yay. Of course, um, 
as as we uh, as we all know, we're in the the heated talks of the collective bargaining agreement at this point in time. The deadline to reach an agreement, which was originally March fourth, was extended by a week. That ends on uh, actually it was originally extended by one day um, to the to the fifth of March, and then extended then another week from there on. We actually have until midnight on Friday night of this week to reach an agreement. Uh, I say we like I'm involved in the talks. Uh, but um, you are Matt. You're keeping it down. <laughs> you're holding us back from getting our football. How dare you? Dang it! No. There's, there's, there's been some, there's been some developments, some things that have gone on. There was a report out uh, earlier today that uh, the sides had potentially agreed on a rookie wage scale, which is, which is a big step. I think that's one of the things that. Um, I, I, I may be wrong, but I, I, I feel like the w- rookie wage scale is is something that the fans, the the knowledgeable fans who are familiar with the escalating costs of signing a first round draft pick are are in favor of the rookie wage scale, and and it appears as though there's at least some structure around a deal that would allow them to institute the rookie wage scale. But right now, the big thing that's holding them back is. Of course, the claim by the NFL owners that um, that uh, they're just not making any money and they need to have the agreement arranged so that the, the, the teams can become profitable again. And the challenge coming from the players union for the NFL to open up their books, show the dollars and cents, see where the lines are coming up red and where they're coming up black. So that the, the they can they can really see if it is true. I think uh, I think the idea being that the, um, the the players union thinks that the owners are essentially uh, faking the numbers and and uh, making the, them out to be non uh, not profitable when they actually are. And um, the the players are, are demanding those books be opened up, and the owners are are actually denying that request, which. <laughs> Whenever, whenever somebody's looking to see something and you deny them that that right to see it, it always kind of makes you look bad. And I don't, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly the angle that the owners are taking here, but uh, obviously there's something in the books that they don't want everyone to see. But at the same time, I'm not 100% convinced that what they're not wanting to show has anything to do with the labor agreements. It's just they don't want these numbers to be out in public. And I don't know that I can necessarily blame them, but uh, the way it looks at this point in time is, is, uh, is pretty greedy and, and, and underhanded um, by, the, by the owners. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But at this point in time, I believe that that is the, the biggest uh, the biggest impediment that we have to the developing talks and the collective bargaining agreement. I think that um, the, the sides are still pretty far off about the 18-game uh, schedule, but the fact of that matter is, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but the previous collective bargaining agreement actually had verbiage in there to allow the league to expand the season. That's not something they ever needed the players' permission to do. So uh, I, I, I think that ultimately, if that's what the owners want, that's something they're going to be able to get through. It's just a matter of what concessions they have to make on other fronts in order to get it. Yeah, we were still seeing a lot of jockeying around there. And I've read an article today where the NFL owners actually did lower their their price tag of what the amount of money they wanted from one billion down to eight hundred million in revenues, and 
okay, that's nice. But where, where, where is this money coming from? It's coming from the players, and the players don't want to do it. And we know, uh, again, the players are very against going the extra, extra games. So <laughs> it's coming down to the point who they'll probably expand it out again because why not? You know, it, it gives at least a good word out there saying that, hey, you know, we're, we're trying so the fans won't complete, be, be completely upset by the, the decision or, or the outcome. So it, we're just unfortunately in a wait and see. I think the thing that gets missed, um, that gets missed a lot is while we're, we're talking, uh, you know, about percentages, if, you know, if, if we're talking about an 800 Eight hundred million dollar cut off the top, and then we're talking about expanding the season to eighteen games. I think eight hundred million dollars is an amount of money that can easily be replaced by the extra revenues they could get from the additional television contracts, additional ticket sales, things like that. I think that there, I think that there are things involved in this that uh, if both sides were to were to look at things. With a with a shoe from each side on one of their feet, and and just kind of just kind of looking at it from both angles, that then hopefully we can get out of this thing alive, and and uh, and we'll be we'll be playing football in September. But uh, ultimately, they're they're getting a lot closer together on some issues, but it really seems like the major issues they're as far apart as they ever have been. Well, I think that's going to do it for the Sports on Point podcast this week. Bob, you want to cue the outro? I will do such things. This has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send suggestions and comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Well, that's it for our show today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to go to sportsonpoint.com. Go to Sports on Point on Facebook and sign up for the Sports on Point Tournament Challenge. Get yourself a chance to be co-host on the Final Four wrap-up edition of the podcast. And, uh, well, let's just face it. You're not going to get it because I'm winning this tournament. I'm a princess. I let the madness begin. I liked your new Peace word. That, I like the new word that you made up. Impediment. Who, me? Yeah, that was good. Impediment. In, in, instead of impediment. Yeah, I like impediment better. That's good. It sounds better. That's yeah, good. impediment sounds like a, a disease. It sounds like something that happens to my speech when I'm trying to make up words. Yes, my exactly. speech was impediment. <laughs> <laughs>